I asked. Twelve thirty's okay. At your office? Meet me at Dudley's, he said. When I report to you that Thomasy is regarded by other lawyers like myself as the best criminal lawyer in Westchester County, what is it I mean by the best? When a man runs a mile faster than any living human has heretofore, he has achieved an absolute. But how few of life's activities, art, pleasure, the law, can be so precisely determined. I remember William York Tyndall used to say that his idea of perfection was to be able to put his legs up after a fine meal and listen to Mozart while smoking a Romeo and Julieta cigar. I knew exactly what he meant, though Mozart was by no means my favorite composer, and since the cigar makers fled Havana, Romeo and Julietas are not the smoke we once prized. If I had to be restricted to seeing one painting for the rest of my life, even if it was a Roe or a Rembrandt, I should soon weary of it. But I can think of a small collection, perhaps a dozen or so, that might keep my eyes content. However, if you have been involved in a crime and you need to deal with the law, you'll find that very few private individuals can hire a battery of attorneys. You usually pick one, and if the matter is important, you narrow your choice to the best. Hence, Thomasy. At Yale, even before I entered the law school, it was made clear to me that all of the lawyers who inhabited the social echelon I came from, without exception, practiced civil law. Criminal lawyers, even the best, had a touch of taint. Their affairs caused them to associate not with the kind of people they would invite to their homes, but with labor racketeers, embezzlers, Sicilians, and worse. Moreover, criminal law was comparatively unremunerative, except for those few lawyers who were primarily actors or outlaws. And so, since I knew what was expected of me, I prepared myself for a career of luncheons in executive dining rooms in which, even today, women are not permitted with grace, and for the gentle world in which adversaries were friends. When we met, we always talked of something else before we got down to business. The stakes in our kind of law are always measured, ultimately in dollars. In criminal law, the stakes are usually a man's freedom, and under some conditions could mean a man's life. Nevertheless, I was fascinated by criminal law, and read the cases as if they were a form of specialized pornography contrived for my pleasure. I kept in touch with a few criminal lawyers so that on occasion I could derive some vicarious satisfaction from the brinkmanship of their cases. Above all, I maintained my now decade-long acquaintanceship with Thomasy, who practiced in the county in which I had always made my home. I sometimes thought, if my ancestors had come from Armenia instead of England— and if I had the perfectionist zeal that animates a man moving up from the bottom of the ladder rather than the ennui that lazies one at the top, I might have been like Thomasy. In America we toy with the idea that because we are a highly mobile society we are not greatly stratified. It is supreme nonsense. In a way we are more class conscious than the Europeans because you cannot always pigeonhole an American by his accent or dress, and with newcomers you are compelled to watch carefully for the telltale nuance. However, in all classes we share one addiction. We admire winners. We root for the underdog so long as he is pushing for the top. Pity never excites us as much as triumph. We think of ourselves as sportsmanlike, but what we do is savagely tear down goalposts when our team wins. The very naive think winning unimportant. When trouble strikes, they are quick to change their minds. I was once involved in a matter that affected not only my client but also the national interest. The matter was out of my field, because money was not the issue. Moreover, it was a matter in which the outcome could not be compromised. We either won or lost totally. 
I phoned Edward Bennett Williams in Washington, and though we had never spoken before, within two minutes of hearing the subject of my concern, he said, Come on down. He took the case and, of course, won it. But most criminal matters, the felonies that attract our interest in newspapers and worry us when they invade our neighborhoods, are tried locally, and one wants as advocate a lawyer who knows the individuals and customs of the courts in the immediate area. Like the nearly million other inhabitants of Westchester, if I were accused of a crime, particularly if I were guilty, I would want only Thomasy to represent me. I dread the possibility that Thomasy might become a judge and hence unavailable to me except as a friend. Besides, the quality one pretends to look for in a judge is fairness. That is not Thomasy's virtue. The boxers and ball players whom we adulate are known for their victories and not for their sportsmanship. Please don't misconstrue my intent. Thomasy has as many surface flaws as good leather. He doesn't pay attention to his clothes. A Glen plaid suit for everyday wear, a dark blue suit for special occasions, a knit tie that shows up two or three times a week, cordovan wingtip shoes that are rarely polished. I have observed him at dinner parties. He does not keep his left hand in his lap. He sometimes begins eating a moment before everyone else. If someone bores him, Thomasy does not dissemble. You'd think that the son of an immigrant would pay more attention to the tenuous signs of class, but Thomasy seems to lack interest in passing into the wasp's superstructure of lawyerdom, yet there is about him none of that reserve from which some lawyers look down at humankind in trouble. He maintains the aspect of a calm observer, but one knows that sinew binds the bones of his lank frame. But he is a jungle fighter of Ord Wingate's class, a puma among the cats of criminal law. Thomasy claims he was born on January 1st, 1931, at 12.01 a.m. in Oswego, New York. The circumstances were suspicious. The Oswego Herald had offered in that depression year a $500 prize for the first child born in the new year, and it is said that the doctor attending Thomasy's mother took a potentially dangerous step in keeping the child's head from emerging for a full five minutes in order that his parents might win the award. 1931 was interesting for other reasons than Thomasy's slightly delayed birth. That year, Elmer Rice's counselor at law was a smash on Broadway. Across the ocean, Oswald Mosley formed a fascist party in Britain. Pierre Laval, of similar predilections, was elected premier of France. German millionaires, Hugenberg, Kierdorf, Tuzian, and Schroeder undertook to support the Nazi party and Pius XI issued his encyclical on the new social order. In innocent America, Jane Addams and Nicholas Murray Butler shared the Nobel Peace Prize, and Jehovah's Witnesses greatly expanded their organization in anticipation of the apocalypse. My name is Archibald Widmer, and I will always remember the lunch with Thomasy that changed the course of his life. Comment by Heg Thomasian I talk to you the truth. I don't want to call the boy George. My wife, Maria, may she rest in peace, herself named after the mother of Jesus. We are in this new country only four years she gives birth to a son and calls him George, an American name used by everybody, especially Griggs. He is son of successful horse dealer who owes money to nobody. He should have been christened Heg. After me, or Armin, after his grandfather. For me, George sounds like a foreigner. Look you, my hands are rough from work, but my head is full of Armenian truth from centuries. 
Greeks called themselves what? The cradle of civilization. Ass fuckers. Armenians took civilization out of the cradle. Smart Jews. America is full of them. They learn from suffering, eh? When George was a boy, millions of Jews killed in Europe. Smart ones. Dumb ones. When I meet a Jew, I tell him before this century began, 200,000 Armenians in Turkey massacred. In Constantinople, 7,000 killed like pigs. In 1909, in Sicilia and Syria, 20,000 more Armenians butchered. During the Great War, the Turks made their women die in childbirth, tried to force our women and children to take Islam, to make Muslims out of the first nation to be Christian in the world. In 1920, I have a good memory. This Woodrow Wilson, President of America, refuses to lift a finger to protect Armenia. My father says, if America will not come to us, we go to America. Armenians are the greatest horse breeders in the world. What is a man without a horse? As soon as we earn some extra dollars, I give to my son, who must carry on this holy tradition, a pony. I go out with him Saturday, Sunday. Ride, ride, ride. And what Georgie says, he is bored by horses. Seek. I show him how I always sell right horse to right people, how if hurt horse is brought to Hague, Thomasian, I make horse well, not shut. I never give up. I take Georgie to cowboy movies. I show him wagon trains. I tell Georgie, who do you think pulled them? Jews? Horses mid America. America needs horses.